0: I would like everybody to do something before we get going. I would like you to turn to the person next to you, um, even if you don't know them, and say, you can change the world. Go ahead. You can change the world. Now, kid president... He's right. And some of us inside, we're like, man, that is a nice sentiment. Kid President, he's very inspiring. I mean, what an amazing 12-year-old. But we're whispering, we're thinking deep inside. He's a cute kid. But I don't believe it. And I get it. Kid President, he mentioned some of the things. Our world is a mess. It seems unfixable at times, We've got ISIS, we've got poverty, we have disease, we have economic uncertainty, and it's an election year. So uh, if you haven't noticed, the primaries are happening right now, and there is going to be an election later this year. So here's the question. Do you think that the next president can change the world? Now... I don't know how you might answer that question, but the polls show us that most of us aren't very optimistic. In fact, I read an article in USA Today this past week where they did a survey at Ball State University and they asked uh, college students basically how they felt about the candidates. And there were four categories, from enthusiastic to satisfied to dissatisfied to scared of the candidate. And both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, both Uh, got over 30% scared. (laughs) Pretty crazy, huh? All right. Well, we really don't believe the next president will change the world. And really, our question is, will anything really change? No matter what our leadership is like, will anything really change? And here's something that we have to know. This is kind of the the main focus for today, and it's been, we started it last week, is this, love can change the world. All right, will you say that with me? Love can change the world. And that's really the story of Kid President, and he does have a name, it's Robbie Novak. It's really an amazing story, I don't know if you've heard of any of his background, Um, he's done many videos since he was like 10 years old. He's been doing these videos and interviewing um, you know, famous people and all that kind of stuff. And if you see him, you say, wow, what an amazing kid. He's so inspiring, so fun, so talented, so encouraging. And we wonder, how did that happen? Well, Robbie's story is really interesting and unique. You see, Robbie was a foster kid. He came out of a, a broken family. And there was this couple, David and Lori Novak. Here's a picture of them with Robbie and his sister Lexi. And first, they made a decision. Their, their two oldest kids were out of the house, and they had a teenage son. And they made a commitment to care for foster kids. And they did this because they wanted to create an environment where foster kids could experience safety and love in their home. And so um, they got Lexi, and then a few months later, they got Robbie when he was two months old. And they're beautiful kids, but it was tough. Not only did they come from a broken family situation, and Robbie, he was too young to know anything about it, but they were broken, literally. Robbie and his sister had a disease called osteogenesis imperfecta which simply means their bones break really easily. And so David and his wife, Leslie, they made countless trips to the ER and the hospital because Robbie and Lex kept breaking their bones. I mean, tens and tens of times. And they were able to find a medication that actually helped to strengthen their bones. But as they loved them, it was hard. It was a tough journey. But as time went on, This commitment to love these foster kids and then send them off became a commitment to love them as their kids, and they adopted Robbie and his sister. So you wonder, okay, how could Robbie be like this, so loving and so fun and so inspiring? Well, he had a mom and dad, David and Leslie, who loved him like that. And that's really, for us, as we think about our role in the world and what it means for us to be a part of change, to bring love into the world, you know, we kind of sit wherever our experience is. And some of us are here today, and we've lived in tough relationships. Some of you are saying, I wish I could experience love like that. Because your reality has been an absence of love, and there's been pain. There hasn't been trust in your life. And some of us, we feel like, you know, my life has been full of hurt and rejection and pain and I feel alone and I long to be loved like that. You know, we live in a broken world and many of us have had broken experiences in our lives and some of us feel broken today and that's okay. I want you to know that's okay. But I also want you to know that God doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to experience his kind of love. Even as you ask the question, is it possible for me? Is it possible for me to experience the kind of love that can change the world? Well, David and Lori Novak, there's something that we need to know about them. I mean, they didn't just kind of through their own strength and their own desire and courage, decide to love these kids. You see, they could only love them because they had received and experienced God's love. And they believed at some point along the way in their lives that God's love can change the world and that their lives mattered and that through them God could express his love to other people. And so if you're asking that question, is it possible for me to experience that kind of love? I hope you'll leave here today, at least with a sense of hope that yes, if I'm connected to God, I can experience that kind of love. Well, here's the text. Um, Al, as he started last week in 1 Corinthians, he talked about the definition of love, God's love. And in that text, you know, he talked uh, really about love in relationships and specifically about love in marriage. And that text goes like this, love is patient and love is kind. It's not proud. It doesn't boast. It doesn't envy. It doesn't dishonor. It's not easily angered. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't keep any record of wrongs. I mean, is that our kind of love? No. This is God's kind of love. It doesn't rejoice with evil, but it celebrates the truth. And here's our text for this morning. Love, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. And really, the best way to say that is God's love never fails. You see, our love as human beings, is limited, isn't it? God's is not. Ours is limited. As human beings, we make mistakes. I mean, I can guarantee somebody in this room is going to make a mistake with love today, and it's probably going to be me. We hurt each other. We fail. We make mistakes, but God's love never fails, and it's available to us as we grow in our relationship with God, as we pursue a relationship with God. And this text tells us that if we rely on him, if we trust him, if we're willing to to, uh, pursue him, that we can find the kind of love that protects, that trusts, that hopes, that perseveres, and we can experience it. So here's the question. Here's the real question for us as we think about that today. Are you willing to make that choice today, to choose that kind of love? Because we've got to choose it. It's available. But if we're going to receive it, we've got to choose it. And that choice is to trust God. To try to go with him and grow in relationship with him so that we can learn to love His way, based on His strength, His kind of love, right? Because we're going to make mistakes and we're going to fail. We're going to be disappointed. We're going to be hurt. But God's love is enough. So I want you to consider that choice. Many of us, we've made that choice, but we need to make that choice again today because we need His strength. Now, here's the thing. Here's God's promise to us. As we pursue his love, he promises that we will become an ambassador of his faith, hope, and love. He promises us that if we go with him, if we lean on him, if we connect with him, that we can become someone who lives with faith, hope, and love. Here's how the Apostle Paul wraps up that chapter that we just looked at in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, after just to kind of summarize everything up, he says, "...and now these three remain." Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Okay, so how do we learn that kind of love? I think it's really important for us as we we look at how God loves to go to the scriptures. And we see Jesus in the gospels over and over again demonstrating what God's love looks like. You see, he had 12 disciples. He had these followers with him. And they didn't understand it half the time. But he was teaching them and he was showing them what God's love looks like. And that's the same thing that Jesus wants to do for us today. As we go into the scriptures, as we read the stories, he wants to show us what his love looks like so that we can take it on. And Jesus did something really interesting and it creates this powerful picture at the end of his life. I mean, For a few years, he was showing his followers, he was showing the crowds what love looks like. He talked about it. He showed it. He demonstrated it. And then here it was in the last hours of his life. He gathered the disciples together, his followers, and it was Passover time, and they were going to have a meal. And as they were starting to eat the meal, Jesus took a pitcher, and it says in the text that he filled a basin with water. And he wrapped a towel around his waist. It was a bigger towel than this. And he got it ready. And he went to the disciples, and one by one, he began, as he went down on his knees, he began washing their feet. Now, imagine this. I mean, just think of some of your close relationships. This is not just people out there. Are you willing to wash your spouse's feet? or your kid's feet, or your friend's feet. I mean, I know what it's like in my house (laughs) when somebody takes their socks off. They're like, gross. I'm staying away from her feet or his feet. Jesus humbled himself and washed each of their feet. And when he got to Peter, Peter was like, no way, man. Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? I don't think so. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, Unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. You can't experience any of me unless I wash your feet. Now, this is what was so mind-blowing to the disciples, is that in their day, a servant, a slave, would wash a guest's feet as they came into somebody's home. The homeowner, the, the host would never do this. A leader, a teacher would never wash somebody's feet. It was the lowest of low roles and a slave did it and not even a Hebrew slave. It would be a Gentile slave that would wash someone's feet. And yet Jesus, the greatest of all, got down and washed their feet. And they were blown away by this. They were speechless. And here's what Jesus said to them. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that's incredible. And what Jesus was showing in these last hours, and ultimately as he went to the cross, And he laid down his life for the brokenness of our world, for the sin of every human being, for the disciples' sin, and for ours. Jesus said, I want you to share that kind of love with that kind of humility with other people. And as you do that, you will be a part of changing the world. You will show that love truly can change the world, that God's love still changes the world. So how do we, how do, we do that? I mean, this is a, a constant conversation that we have in our house in terms of how uh, Candace and I as parents treat each other, how our kids interact with one another. And I mean, I have four kids We have a lot going on in our house. We have lots of fights, arguments, disagreements, all that kind of stuff. So there is plenty of room for humility and forgiveness. And so every day is an opportunity for us to practice this kind of love. Are we willing to put another person before us? Are we willing to serve someone? We all have that opportunity in our relationships, in our closest relationships, and we also have that opportunity at work and areas that we're out. So here's two things I'd like you to do. Um, just things that you can practice this week. The first thing I want you to do is simply to stop. So when you, <clears throat> when you start out the week, maybe it's this, this evening, even as you look at your schedule for the week, just to stop for a few seconds. And rather than just kind of looking through, okay, here's what's going on Monday, to, you know, here's where i got to be, you have to be, Stop. Take 30 seconds, take a minute and say, God, will you go with me into this week? I don't even know how to do this, but God, will you go with me into this week? When you walk into the office or you go uh, to meet with a friend or you go to a lunch, take the first 30 seconds or a minute just to stop and look around you. Who's here? Who's in this place? This person that I'm going to meet with, I wonder what's going on in their life. It sets a different perspective for you. Here's the second thing I'd like you to do, <clears throat> and we talked about this. I was at a, a leadership uh, event, and one of, the, one of the things that we, one of the practices that uh, somebody introduced uh, was this, that um, when you go out this week, take one day and walk at half your normal speed. Now, that sounds agonizing for some of us. It's like, what? I mean, because we're always just, you know, on the move, we got stuff to do. Walk at half your speed, because what happens? So just think of it this way. If you're driving, and you're driving at 60 miles an hour versus 30 miles an hour, when you drive more sl- you know, at a slower pace, what do you get? Aggravated, right? Just kidding. No, not aggravated. You start to see things. You notice things that you don't see when you're going 60 miles an hour. So just take a day. Maybe maybe you can give it three hours. Maybe you can give it a half day. But go at a slower pace. Will you do this? Will you do this? Because we start to see stuff. And it gives us some space to say, God, who's around me? Who can I pay attention to? maybe there 's a neighbor that I can say hi to maybe there 's a neighbor that I can help you know there 's something they need help with. maybe there 's somebody that I can take to, you know take to lunch and, and pay for their lunch and find out what 's going on in their life. Maybe there 's someone that I need to send a note or give a call this week I mean this is something that each one of us can experience because we don't change the world. Only God can do that. But when we live and we connect with his love, we can be a part of changing the world one life at a time. Now, there's something else that we need. So that's something that each of us can actively do and pursue this week. There's something else that we need as well. And I Um, I've experienced this so many times in my life. I'm just going to pick one story where I experienced this thing that we all need. Um, I'm going to go back 15 years because my middle son, Kyle, turned 15 yesterday. And he's an amazing kid. Well, when he came into the world... Uh, it was just, you know, a typical experience for us going to the hospital. You see, um, Candace, each time uh, that she was pregnant, she never went into labor on her own. We always set an appointment at the hospital for her to be induced. And so, you know, it was like that with Colin. By Kyle, we're like, oh, I wonder if it's going to be like that. When Reagan was born, we're like, oh, yeah, we can just set it up. Ten days after she's due, we'll be good to go. <clears throat> so we, we go to the hospital. Everything gets started. I'm waiting. You know, for me, it's just like, you know, try not to mess anything up, try not to say anything dumb to Candace. <clears throat> and so there we are, Kyle's born. It's like five o'clock, five thirty in the afternoon. We're ecstatic. Here's uh here's our our second son. And and so, you know, they're they're in, they're checking him out, they're doing his uh, apgar or whatever it's called. And all of a sudden, his nine and tens start dropping. And within a few minutes, there's uh, there's all this medical personnel surrounding Kyle. And before we know it, I mean, within minutes, he's gone. They whisk him away. And we're just sitting there knowing something's wrong. Something big time is wrong, but we don't know what it is. And we we start praying, and we're, you know, kind of communicating with family a little bit. And medical personnel just keeps coming in with with updates every once in a while. Well, it's not his lungs. It's not this. It's not that. It was probably three hours later when we were sitting down with a pediatric cardiologist. As he explained, Kyle had a heart problem, a heart defect, that without surgery, he was going to die. And so... we started to get the word out to our our friends and to our community to pray. And we had to wait, um, we had to wait about seven days before he could get moved to a different hospital. And so on that day, he was helicoptered. We were in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He was helicoptered over to Ann Arbor, Michigan, to a great medical uh, hospital for kids where the surgery was going to be done. So we drove over and you know, people, friends were coming to the hospital to see us and dropping stuff off for us, and we had we had no idea what to expect when we got to Ann Arbor. Uh, we knew it was going to be an open heart surgery; it was going to take four or so hours, and um, so we, we got there. They did all the final testing. Um, we had some friends that drove over to be with us that day, to sit with us and and to pray with us along with our family. Um. We were going to stay at a Ronald McDonald house, which w- would have been great, but somebody from the church um, had an office that was over a- around Ann Arbor, and so there was an apartment that he would stay at occasionally, and he wasn't going to be there, so he said, you guys got to stay at this apartment. And uh, And so the day of the surgery, the surgery went really well. The doctor was pleased. And then we sat and we looked. Um, I, won't, I don't have pictures and I wouldn't show you pictures because it was it's pretty hard to look at a baby all bandaged up like he was. And we sat with him and the nurse said, he's done great. She's been, you know, she's been a, a nurse with these uh, pediatric cardiac kids for years. And, uh, and she said, he's doing really well. And then like the, it was the, we celebrated that day, the second day, and then the next morning, we got a call at like five in the morning, where we had to get to the hospital right away, because Kyle was having seizures. He had um, a bleed in his brain, and so we came in, he was still seizing, and they were able to stop that, and bring him back down, and the nurse, when I looked in her eyes, she, she was like, I'm so sorry, and they were talking about brain damage, and not knowing um, how he would respond, and uh, we prayed, and we had friends around us that prayed, and friends that sat with us. And by that night, we sat down with the neurologist, and as he showed us the scan of Kyle's brain, he said, "It's amazing. The bleed was—you know—we we, were—it stopped, and he's going to be okay." Here's what's going have to, have to have to happen over the next few months, but he's going to be okay. And so we stayed in the hospital for a couple more weeks before heading home, learning to care for this little baby, but we had a community that loved us, people that cared for us. When we had nothing, we had no energy, we didn't have any ability to do much for anybody else, people, people loved us and that's the second thing that we need we all if we're going to experience the love of god if we're going to take steps in trying to act on his love and depend on his love we need people who are going to surround us and love us and i can tell you that the rock hills community is a community like that a community of faith hope and love and so my prayer and my request for you is that you'll be open to receiving that love, open to relationships, to allow people to be in your lives. Because you know what? I know this. Love can and will change the world. That God's love will change the world and that you and I, one person at a time, can love like that. Um, I I have, as I go to prayer, here's a picture. This is something we celebrate now. Here's a picture of Kyle. This was uh, about a week or so ago, getting his stress test. Look how he's all hooked up. 15 years old. We've done this every year for the last, you know, every year we've had different tests and evaluations. And so the cardiologist called me the other day and she said he did awesome at his stress test. I mean, he's, I mean, he can stretch it past You know, the average person, his numbers are great. He also had a CAT scan. Um, His heart looks great. And so I praise God for that. But I want to tell you this, yeah. I truly believe, you know, God did this, but if it weren't for the people, the friends that prayed with us, that loved us, that hoped with us, that trusted with us, I don't know if we'd be celebrating all this in Kyle today. So pray with me, please. Lord, um, no matter how we experience life today, no matter what our relationships look like, God, may we believe that you can break through, that your love is eternal, that your love is powerful, that it's greater than our circumstances, and that your love never Fails. Jesus, help us to receive that love. And that as we receive it, to give it. To share it. To demonstrate it. And it's not easy. I mean, life and relationships in our world, there's lots of broken stuff. But help us to receive your love and to give it to others for us to be a person of faith, hope, and love that's connected to a community of faith, hope, and love. And ultimately, God, we pray that you will be recognized, that people will see you in us, and this, and this world will be a better place. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.